0: everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the PensCast Mailbag. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, as always, alongside me. He is the fellow contributing writer over at Pensburg.com. He is the co-host of the PensCast and the PensCast Mailbag here at the Skating Penguin Network. It is Robbie Noggle. Robbie, uh, we've kind of hit some sort of a lull point here as the Vegas Golden Knights are currently celebrating with their Stanley Cup, and we're sort of gearing up into draft mode as we wait and see what interim general manager Kyle Dubas does with the 14th overall pick and also what Dubas may or may not do with the contract of Mikael Grandlin as the NHL buyout period has opened up. But until we wait for official confirmation on both of those topics and as uh, we progress throughout the offseason here, we have another mailbag this week. I believe we have 17 questions this week, and at last check when I put the mailbag together, all 17 of these questions come from Brian, so it's another Brian-centric mailbag. Brian, I have no idea how you create an entire mailbag of 17 questions. I don't know if I could ask 17 questions if uh, if you put me on the spot and said... Write 17 questions or you get pushed off a building. I was thinking of something less violent. <laughs> I, I didn't want to say put a gun to my head. I'd like to keep it PG-13. But, uh, but yeah, either way, Brian, uh, we can't thank you enough again for filling out this week's mailbag. Uh, Robbie, as always, we'll start off with question number one here. And, again, all of these questions come from Brian. So, number one, would you be for or against if the Penguins took consideration in signing Oliver Ekman Larson now that he is an unrestricted free agent with his recent buyout in Vancouver. Brian likes him as a player, but we really don't need another left-handed defenseman. Now, if it was a right-handed defenseman, uh, Brian believes the conversation would be different. And I I, I tend to agree with Brian if he was, was a right-hander. Robbie, what are your thoughts? It looks like Vancouver is starting the the fire sale or what have you as they enter a tumultuous offseason.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I can see the logic. Uh, it would have to be cheap. Uh, but again, right-handed maybe changes the conversation a little bit. But you have a complete logjam at at that at that on that side of the ice right now. And I just I really don't see uh, Oliver ekman Larson being a prime option for what the Penguins will be looking for uh, in the free agent market. Again, again, if it's cheap, I, maybe you kick the tires on it. But I think overall, OEL is somebody that you probably just pass on because I still think. He's going to command a decent price on the open market uh, from some teams. So um, I don't think he'll come uh, cheap enough for what I would want the Penguins uh, to look into if they were to bring him in. But, yeah, I think the bigger need is much more a right-handed defenseman. If they're going to spend money on the blue line this offseason, I I would definitely prefer a right-handed defenseman. Now, if they would move on from a guy like Petrie, which has been uh, mentioned, then I can maybe see – um, the conversation being had but I don't see uh, Petrie going anywhere this offseason uh, so um, overall I'm not really high on uh, signing, uh, signing Ekman Larson I don't think the Penguins will I think he's still going to be too much out of their price range and the Penguins have way too many other needs to focus on um, this offseason Guy Kyle Dubas a lot on his plate but yeah I'm sure he's going to take a look at everything available, but. Uh, overall, I am I would lean as a against making that move, and I just don't see where he fits into this lineup um, if they were to bring him in. Uh, question number two: uh, From all that I've heard, uh, Sid is uh, is more of a lead by example type guy rather than vocal. Do you think he needs to be more vocal, whether it, it be with his teammates or to management, uh, with what he thinks the team needs?
0: This has always been a topic that's fascinated me because I don't know Crosby personally. Uh, and look, there have been some videos that ca- have come out of the locker room. Obviously, the Penguins have put them on their social media channels from time to time. Uh, Crosby, he, he and Brian, you're right. He's never been that ooh-rah kind of let's go get him boys kind of kind of personality. He's always been rather quiet and reserved and he's, he's kept a lot of his thoughts to himself over the years. Um, but I've always been curious if Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Latang, those guys who have been here the longest, especially recently with the, with the firing of, of Ron Hextall and bringing in Kyle Dubas. If, if those three players, because they're the longest tenured have ever voiced their opinions behind the scenes, because a, a lot of that stuff you don't really see with hockey players. It, it, it's kind of ingrained into the culture uh, that you you know a lot of these professional athletes, hockey players uh, are really in that category. They give stoic robotic answers. You don't really see a lot of personality. and then you 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 take into consideration a guy like Crosby, who's been the face of the lead for almost twenty years now. And I, I, I do wonder if behind the scenes he's voiced his opinion. I think there have been statements made in the past where he and he he's gone out and he said i've I I've made my feelings known." I think, with regard to the Letang and Malkin extensions uh, last offseason, I believe he came out in one media scrum and said, "I've made my feelings known that I would like to have them here," and that is the the really the the most you're going to get out of a motion or a motion from Sidney Crosby or a kind of direct answer as it relates to how the front office operates. So, uh, I don't think he needs to be more vocal. I mean, he's going to be 36 this year. There's no use in changing how he operates as a person or as a player at this point in his career. But I I, I have to imagine at, on at least some level over the last 15 plus years, he's exercised his right because he has been so productive and he has been the face of this team for so long. I have to imagine on at least one occasion, he's gone to Ray Shero, Jim Rutherford, Ron Hextall, or even Kyle Dubas at this point, and and has laid out some of, maybe not demands, but some of his aspirations or visions with how he thinks who he would play best with or how what the roster needs, X, Y, and Z, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I don't think he needs to go out in front of a thousand microphones and say, this is wrong, I would do it this way. I think that's also who he is as kind of a person, a kind of a more quiet, laid-back individual who... Like you, like you described, you let, he lets the play speak for himself. So I don't have a problem with how he conducts himself on or off the ice. Question number three. I know Kyle Dubas said he would hire a general manager after the draft, but is Eric Tulski or Sam Ventura still in the running for the GM position? I haven't heard either, either of their names much since Dubas was hired, or do you think Dubas will just hire a few assistant general managers with specified roles? I
1: really think, I mean, it sounds like uh, Eric Tolski was out of the running before the Dubas stuff really even started to heat up. It really seemed like he was coming down uh, to Greeley in Dallas and Matthew Darsh uh, in Tampa Bay. Uh, San Ventura, I, I think they did him in the initial round of interviews, but I never really heard his name uh, pop up with uh, the second round of interviews. So as what will Kyle Dubas do? Well, we already know he has one assistant GM in Jason Spezza. The question is, how will he kind of form his front office going forward? So, I, and I don't know. I think that I really do see the possibility that he goes with the kind of the spread out assistant GM uh, type scenario where he where he gives them all different responsibilities uh, but I could also see him hiring a main general manager um, whoever that may be could it be Matthew Darsh uh, we don't know and Jason Spezza and maybe one other guy uh, are assistant general managers I, it, it's, it, it remains to be uh, to be seen it's very it seems like I think every NHL team at least has like a general manager not just a bunch of assistant general managers. Again, unless they're all assisting each other, uh, you can see that as well. And then they all report to Dubas as president of hockey operations. Uh, I think that's completely plausible. I don't see either Sam Ventura or Eric Tolsky being brought in, uh, unless for like a guy like Ventura, he sees this as uh, an opportunity to come back home for maybe a slightly elevated role from what he's at in Buffalo right now. Um, I don't know. I think that, Tolski is a guy that's going to want to run the show or at least run the show under a <clears throat> under the umbrella of kyle dubas uh but he wants to be like the general manager uh reporting directly to dubas rather than kind of working as a team with other um assistant general managers so yeah i i think it's going to be very interesting to watch um, because we at least know that uh, into july we're going to have kyle dubas calling most of the shots but um, we kind of figured Jason Spezza was coming to Pittsburgh in some role, and we now know he's coming as an assistant general manager. Uh, so we'll be interesting to see once the calendar hits July and the free agent frenzy kind of calms down, um, what exactly Cal uh, Dubas is going to do to shape this front office in his vision. Uh, question number four. Uh, evolving hockey is, proje- is projecting Jason Zucker's contract to be five years at $5.1 million a year with a new team, but if he re-signed to the Penguins at five years, $4.8 million per season. Uh, is this a contract you would do if you were Kyle Dubas? Uh, considering Zucker, again, recently said he wants to stay in Pittsburgh, uh, maybe you can get that number down to 4.25 or
0: 4.5. So in terms of length of contract with regard to Zucker and bringing him back, at this point, you gave – Latang, Malkin, and Rust, and uh, Raquel at least five-year deals last offseason. Given where the team is right now and where the team will be in three or four years' time, I don't have a problem. Uh, maybe earlier in the season when we were debating this, I would have maybe objected to giving out a five-year deal to a 31-year-old forward, but, I mean, at, at this point, if it means Jason Zucker can come back to Pittsburgh and you don't really have to do too much shuffling with that top six, then I guess at this point I'd be for it. Um, If he does resign with the, with the Penguins right now, it's uh, the estimation is 4.8. I would be, I would be comfortable with that because it would be, it would be a slight dip in pay from what I believe his current contract was that's set to expire on June 30th. But if you could even, if you could get that down maybe even further, Maybe try and persuade him to take something of a hometown discount if those really even exist in sports anymore. 4.25 or 4.5 would be even better because you have a little bit of extra wiggle room that you could maybe give to another depth player or an AHL fringe player if you had to. But 4.8 over 5, I would definitely, definitely be comfortable with because at this point, I'm resided to the fact that, like everyone else has, has said before, that the Penguins... Probably aren't going to be Uber competitive outside of the next three years. So, uh, hey, the crazier things have happened. Whether they do some sort of speed rebuild or or whatever, but 4.8, I would not I would not object to. Five years, I really don't have a problem with at this point um, either. It's not like Crosby and Malkin and Letang are all in their mid 20s, and uh, you know Zucker's like the only old forward on this roster. Uh, a lot of those guys, like I mentioned, already have five, six-year deals at this point, I wouldn't be opposed to giving another one to Zucker, assuming, hopefully, he was healthy last season and he had his best season in Pittsburgh. Let's hope the injuries are well behind him and he can continue to produce at a similar rate. Question number five. I, I really like this one because I do not care for the Boston Bruins or their fans. Robbie, how do you think the Bruins fans are feeling right now having one of the greatest regular seasons to lose it all in the first round and then go see the coach that they fired win the Stanley Cup in his first season in Vegas with his new team.
1: I mean, I was thinking that was in the back of my mind uh, pretty much uh, the entire series because it was just, it was either Bruce Cassidy wins the Stanley Cup or the team that you led three games to one in the first round and were a breakaway away from eliminating in five games uh, wins the Stanley Cup. Now, I mean, what are you gonna tell a Florida fan? Like, oh, you guys didn't win the whole thing. They're gonna ha- that's gonna hang over them until you beat them in the playoffs and then go win the cup or something like that. So that is kind of um, uh, that that's gonna hang there for a long time. There's nothing they can say to Florida fans uh, that matter whether or not uh, Florida would have won that series or like they did. They did lose. So um, nothing is gonna take that away from Florida when it comes to taunting. Uh, Boston fans. But as for Bruce Cassidy, there was no question he was a great coach. I I don't think anybody really doubted that. Now, if reports would have believed it was kind of a player led removal last offseason to get Cassidy out of Pittsburgh or out of Boston, it was kind of them just saying that, hey, we think we need a change. There was some apparent, it just wasn't working anymore. in the play, it was more of a, a player-led revolt than a front uh, office-led revolt like we usually see. And it – man, it it has to sting. It it really has to sting. Now, there's no, like, player on either side that I can think of that uh, you sit back and think, man, he was – he could have really helped us. And um, he – feel good for him for winning it after leaving Boston. Uh, Bruce Cassidy, I mean – yeah, it's got to suck uh, for those fans up there to, to sit there and see your former coach who was un, kind of unceremoniously uncere- uh, pushed out of his position just a year ago. It's not even like this was three or four years later. It's literally the, same, the next year after your own team put together maybe the greatest regular season in history. So I, I think it definitely stings, and it's something that um, it's going to take a long time to get over, and Um, I personally hope they never get over it, uh, to be honest. I hope that sits there uh, for a very long time. Uh, Question number six. I know we talk a lot about the big-name goalies, uh, but should the Penguins look at Arizona's Vimalca? He has two years left to $2.725 million. Uh, He played pretty well with not much in front of him last year in Arizona. Uh, Could sign Jari to a bridge deal and have an interesting tandem as 1A 1B
0: So I'm going to agree with Brian here I I do like Karel Vamelka uh, I, I would be interested to see if he was on a team that wasn't openly tanking to try and win the Connor Bedard sweepstakes, how uh, how efficient he would be. I mean, the contract is incredibly reasonable. Looking at his statistics, you have to really take them with a grain of salt. Last last season, 18 wins, 24 losses, six overtime or shootout losses, uh, a 3-4-3 three, three goals against average, 899 save percentage. Looking at some of his advanced statistics, Though Even strength save percentage increases year over year from 2021-22 through the 2022-23 season. In 2021-22, his first season with Arizona, he had a 9.06 even strength save percentage. That goes up to 9.11 last season uh, at even strength again. Uh, even str- or, uh, short-handed save percentage also increases, going up from 9.21 in 2021-22 to 9.27 in 2022-23. So some of the statistics there seem to indicate that Vemelka, even really with nothing to work with, as as Brian mentions, definitely, definitely a, a suitable NHL goaltender. There's a lot of moving parts because. If you bring Jari back on that aforementioned bridge deal, well, how much are you giving him on a one- or two-year deal? How much are you going to give Jari? Casey DeSmith is still under contract. How, how do you get rid of Casey DeSmith? Do you in, do you include him as a throw-in and in a trade? Uh, do you buy his contract out with only one year left until he's an unrestricted free agent? Uh, I would not be opposed to the 1A, 1B kind of tandem that Brian suggests here with Vimelka. A lot of, a lot of moving parts, though. Uh, again, one of the biggest questions we're going to face this offseason is, what do you do with Tristan Jari? How much do you give him, and for how long of a contract is it going to be? So uh, un- until we get a clear answer whether Jari walks into unrestricted free agency and Dubis goes another route, Uh, we'll have to wait and see how the salary cap dollars get allocated with regard to their goalie position. But going back to Vemelka, if Kyle Dubas traded for Vemelka tomorrow, I would be pretty confident. I I don't know if the the sample size is there to tell you that Vemelka is a true blue number one NHL netminder who you can plug in just about any night. But some of the stats lead me to believe that if you put him if you put him behind a, a competent defense, really a competent team who's actively trying to win instead of tank, you could probably have a, a pretty solid, pretty solid goaltender on your hands. Question number seven. Do you see the ideal scenario as getting a top goalie and have that goalie be here until the end of the Crosby Malkin era? Hopefully by then, one of either Joel Bloomquist or Murashov, the Russian goaltender the russian goaltender drafted last year is ready to be a full-time nhler
1: i i think obviously the the answer is you hope that there is a long-term solution uh for the rest of the cause Cros- crosby malkin either whether that be tristan jari or Vimelka or connor hellebuck or somebody else um you i think you honestly i mean it's not good that they're just kind of keep this revolving goal revolving door of goaltenders um through these last couple years, it seems like. I know the tandem has been the same, but it just feels like there's no answer in net right now. So I just think that anytime, if they can find any stability there, it's a bonus. Um, Blomqvist is uh, most close, uh, much closer than Mershaw is at the moment. Um, obviously, a lot of um, questions about his availability being that he's currently in Russia. Uh, but again, Blomqvist, there's no guarantee that He develops like they hope, and uh, no guarantees there at all. So um, Blomquist is obviously much closer, and I just think if you want to maximize this era, you need uh, some kind of stability and longevity um, sooner rather than later. And uh, whatever way they can get there, I think that um, that needs to be one of the top priorities uh, for Kyle Dubas. So be really interesting to see how he handles this uh, in the coming weeks. I said on a past episode, I really get the feeling that at the very least, Tristan Jari is coming back on a deal unless somebody just completely breaks the bank for him. And the Penguins are just like, we can't just not willing to put that much time and money uh, into what is essentially a big question mark and goal. So um, any kind of stability you can get between now and the end of that Crosby era uh, and get and buy time for guys like Blomquist and Miroshoff to continue to develop. Uh, is an absolute bonus and gives them the best chance to win um, another Stanley Cup. Uh, Question number eight, I read an article recently about three under-the-radar targets the Penguins could look for. They were Ryan Donato, Pierre Angval, and Pius Suter. I think Angval out of the three would make the most sense given his ties to Dubas and um, what he does for the bottom six needs.
0: Right off the bat, all three of these players, if you were, if they were presented to me and said the Penguins can have one of these three players, I think all three of them provide an immediate boost to the bottom six. I remember back in 2021, uh, I wanted the Penguins badly to sign Pius Suter. He is an undersized forward, 5'11", 179. But in 2022-23, 79 games played, 14 goals, 10 assists, 24 points through 216 career games, 43 goals, 87 points. So, definitely your your tried and true bottom 6 top 9 kind of forward shooter is uh he's coming off a two-year contract that Steve Eiserman signed him to the Detroit Red Wings. Uh he had a previous cap hit of 3.25 million through the 2022-23 season. So he is set to be an unrestricted free agent. Ryan Donato, again, another very productive bottom six, top nine forward this season. Uh, 71 games played, 14 goals, 27 points. He was a plus 16, really helped uh, provide Seattle with a boost uh, as they went on to clinch their first-ever Stanley Cup playoff berth. Through 325 career games, he has 65 goals and 135 points. His contract, he signed a one-year, $1.2 million deal with the Seattle Kraken in July of last last year. So he will be an unrestricted free agent as well. However, the one that Brian mentions specifically, the one that he would be more in favor of targeting, is one that I personally would be in favor of targeting the most in Pierre Engvall. Because you get a guy like Brian mentions— who has prior ties to Dubas and the Toronto Maple Leafs, you have a guy that can definitely put the puck in the net for you. 2022-23, 76 games played, 17 goals, 30 points. He was a plus-8, 244 career NHL games, 47 goals, 92 points. So this is a guy who's not completely inept with offense. The best part is he's a uh, left-handed, left-winger, and I know this is going to excite a lot of people, if you don't know who Pierre Engvall actually is, this man is six foot five, 219 pounds. So he definitely ticks those big, uh, big forward boxes that I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast really want that big sort of physical presence in the bottom six. You can have your cake and eat it too with a player like Engvall. Looking at his contract, he signed a one-year deal with Toronto with a cap hit of $2.25 million last summer through Kyle Dubas. If there was one player who would be on the open market that I would want Kyle Dubas, maybe not super aggressively because, after all, these are top nine, bottom six forwards. But I would be thrilled with either of these guys and the fact that you can get size, skill, a little bit of sandpaper, scoring ability with a guy like Engvall. He's going to be an immediate boost to someone's bottom six. If you can get him out of Toronto, bring him to Pittsburgh, I would be over the moon to have someone like Engvall come in. Question number nine. Robbie, what is a honky take that you have that you would die on the hill for? Brian's is, if we get past the Washington Capitals in 2018, he thinks we get the three-peat, three straight Stanley Cups. The other less out there one is without the injury slash cancer diagnosis, Mario Lemieux surpasses Wayne Gretzky and most of the NHL's all-time statistical categories.
1: Uh, mine is simply that, and it kind of goes along with the, uh, the the second part of that question, is that Mario Lemieux is better than Wayne Gretzky. That's basically the entire take. Uh, I have no other take, really. I It is just... Um, Or maybe one that if uh, Kevin Stevens doesn't break his face in game seven against the Islanders in 93, the Penguins win that game and then go on to win their third consecutive cup. But it's always going to be Mario is better than Wayne Gretzky. Uh, Again, kind of goes along with that second part there with, again, if Mario is healthy and breaks all those records, I don't think that this is really even a question. But it's a hill that I and many Penguins fans will die on that uh, Mario Lemieux is better than Wayne Gretzky, and you're not going to change my mind on that. You're really not. Nothing you say or do is ever going to convince me otherwise, and um, I will kindly see you on that hill uh, if you wish to debate me, whoever you are. But it's Mario better than Gretzky. Um, Put it on my tombstone. Ah, Question number 10. Uh, We have seen some truly great runs in the playoffs, where teams look unbeatable, but do you think we'll ever actually actually see a team do that, meaning go sixteen and The Oilers came close at sixteen and two. and I think the most impressive uh, is the two thousand and twelve Los Angeles Kings going sixteen and four as an eight seed
0: in in this day and age in the NHL, I think the competition has never been so the, the margin of competition has never been so raz- razor thin back in the seventies, eighties, and maybe into the, uh, into the nineties, you, you know, the, the, the seriousness of athletic training, rehabilitation, sports science, all of that, it was not taken as seriously and people didn't know much, if anything about it back then, if there was a time for a team to go 16 and 0 through to win the Stanley cup. I think, I think it would have been in one of the previous eras, but with how fast and skillful and the, the level of talent that the NHL has, how competitive each team is in the league. I I think it's, I I'm going to say it's impossible. I mean, I will straight up say it's impossible. I do not think it is so hard. They say it's the hardest trophy to win in all of sports, Uh, I agree because I think you're playing the hardest team sport there is, uh, across the globe. It's, you have to master how to skate. Then you have to have to master how to shoot the puck. Uh, there are so many intricacies to the game of hockey that I just notice as, as a, as a bystander, as a spectator, having not even, uh, been on the ice before in my life, but it's so hard with how great these players are today, how well they take care of their bodies, How competitive the league is. I I just do not think it'll happen. Uh, Brian mentions the '88 Oilers at 16 and two. Uh, That might be as close as you're ever going to get to a 16 and 0 run. Uh, It's it's so so hard. It's so hard to win the Stanley Cup. It would be even harder to do it without losing a game. How playoff officiating is. uh, The injuries that you you suffer. It's just a completely different beast comparing the regular season to the postseason. So uh, I, I, just, I just don't think it'll ever happen. As crazy and as fairy tale as that would be, it's, it's hard enough to win the trophy as it is. Winning 16 straight games, I would, it would be unheard of, unthinkable. And certainly you could make the argument that if a team did come along and do that, you could immediately make the argument it would be the greatest team of all time. Question number 11, are either of you Ted Lasso fans? Do you really believe that the series is actually over? Robbie, uh, I see Ted Lasso highlights and whatnot on Twitter, but I don't have an Apple, uh, TV plus subscription. So I I don't actively watch it. I don't know. What, what do you watch it?
1: Yeah, I do. I am a Ted Lasso fan and, um, I've kind of talked to this, um, same exact scenario through with uh some friends that are also fans of the show and i think that i i I can see that the core show is over meaning the core ted lasso show with jason sudeikis as ted lasso at least for now and i think for i'm gonna say he's probably gonna take a break for an extended amount of time now as for offshoot shows absolutely i think those are going to continue and i think it was set up the end of the season three the end of the the last episode was a a complete setup for other shows, and I, I think that's good because I don't think I think there's so many different ways to expand uh, the Ted Lasso universe that it would kind of be unfair to a lot of the characters to not kind of get to tell their own stories. So I absolutely think the series is going at least the universe is going to continue in some way, and there's again a lot of ways they can go with this at this point. They could even bring back kind of a quasi-Ted Lasso-type show with different coaches at the helm of the main team. So I definitely think there's going to be offshoots or prequels, sequels kind of thing. Um, And I'm not saying that the Ted Lasso or Jason Sudeikis is Ted Lasso is totally done, but I think that they're completely fine with putting that on the back burner from now and moving on to uh, one of these offshoot shows that, Um, I think they purposely set up in the last episode. Uh, Question number 12. Who is one current athlete you take from their current sport and put into the NHL?
0: The cliche answer is going to probably be LeBron James. Uh, Just because of how much of a freak athlete he is. Uh, Six foot nine, 250. I've seen a couple of pictures in, of him in penguins jerseys before, but the Akron kid coming over to Pittsburgh, he would be one heck of a power forward. I, I, t- I can tell you that much a, a Zdeno charla esque power forward, just throwing his body weight around. Uh, yeah, I- I'll, I'll take LeBron James. It may be cliche, Robbie. I don't know if you gave thought to this question since it wasn't yours, but LeBron was the first name that popped into my head. Once I, once I read the question, and I'm trying to think, like, maybe soccer stars, like maybe Ronaldo or Messi, that would be fun to see. Um, NFL stars, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I really wouldn't care to see Tom Brady in the NHL. Um, I don't know. Robbie, have you? Did you give any thought? Do you have any athletes, maybe off the top of your head, that besides like LeBron or a Messi or Ronaldo, that would be fun to watch on skates?
1: I'm gonna absolutely hate myself for this. Um. But I'm gonna go to Europe, uh, and I'm going to say Erling Holland. Oh yeah, that's a oh that's a really good one. I mean, he obviously grew up around the game. I know. He, I mean, obviously, he's a soccer player, but um, he, I mean, Norway hockey is basically their number one sport. Um, so I could absolutely see him being. He's probably skated before. You think he has? So uh, I'm gonna say Holland again. Big, just a, hu- a huge human being. Um, knows for the net, obviously. I mean, he scores uh, pretty much uh, at will, so um, I think he'd be a great addition to the game of hockey. I think um, I'd love to watch him uh, try to score for the Penguins. And I think it would be um, wildly entertaining for a guy like Holland uh, to, uh, to
0: see him on the ice. That's a really good pick. I, I, I really like that as a city fan. And yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. I know you support United, but, uh, I, I, I really like that. That's it. That's a really good pick. I'm going to keep that. That's really good. All right. Uh, question number 13, are either of you shocked with how much the Ottawa senators sold for? How can Michael Andelar be now the owner, the principal owner of the senators and still be part owner of the Montreal Canadiens? Kind of seems like a conflict of interest, if you ask me.
1: So my guess is at some point, he's going to have to sell his whatever stake he has in the Montreal Canadiens. And again, they're probably going to have to wait until the deal fully goes through. Um, As of right now, it is just a sales agreement. Uh, So they'll have to wait until uh, the deal fully goes through until I guess they would force him to sell sell his part of the Canadiens. And there was an, uh, an a um, situation a couple years ago where uh, one of the Steelers myor- minority owners uh, bought majority stake in the Cleveland Browns. He obviously had to sell his uh, minority stake in the Steelers um, just because you can't. Yeah, you can't have um, you can't have um, uh, somebody having ownership stake in two uh, two teams that would be wildly conflict of interest. So yeah, I think once it's all official and pen's put to paper and the sale is final. Then you would see him uh, have to sell his minority stake in uh, the Canadians. But um, until then, uh, there's no way they're going to let uh, him have stake in both teams, especially one is the majority owner. Uh, so, yeah, just keep an eye out for that as this uh, sale goes forward. Shock with how much they're sold for. Not really. I mean, they're a Canadian hockey franchise. Um, and in today's world, that teams are just valued at that. Uh, there's a lot that's going to have to go into... Uh, there's obviously arena questions with the Senators, but how much it sold for doesn't surprise me in the least bit. Uh, question number 14. Uh, last weekend, Pittsburgh lost a legend in Stan Saverin. Uh, Penguin pre- and post-game is going to be different without him on the broadcast. Uh, rest in peace to him. Do you, either of you have any stories about interacting with him? Uh, my brother and I met him outside of PNC Park, and actually i that's where i met him one time too was outside the only time i ever met him in person Um, i met him outside of pnc park i do not remember the year but it was the only time i met him in person and um yeah very nice guy absolutely great legend and yeah so i met him one time outside of pnc park just like brian did um and that's basically the extent of my story
0: I have uh, I have a bit of an extended story with regard to uh, Stan Savern. Um When I was in high school, uh, I was fortunate enough to tour the, at the time, they were the Root Sports Studios on uh, the North Shore in Pittsburgh to get a behind-the-scenes look of what goes into creating a, a Penguins broadcast, pre-game, post-game, the game itself. Uh, and I met, Stan, he I, we were in their, their like corporate offices and he was talking to somebody. Then we took the trip. We went downstairs into the, the studio where they film uh, pre and post-game coverage when the penguins are on the road. And uh, I, I was fortunate enough, that was the first time I met him, and um he showed me around the studio and showed me some of his notes, uh, showed me, you know, how he uh, conducted himself as the uh, a premier, just a premier all around sportscaster. He's a tremendous, he was a tremendous, tremendous person. So nice, so generous with his time. Uh, my story does not end there, however, because uh, when I got out of college, I, my first job was with iHeartRadio here in Pittsburgh for a few months. And I worked alongside Stan Savern for a few months doing some very, very basic uh, programming stuff, studio op stuff uh while stan did his um daily radio show through uh, it was a uh, 970 ESPN which is a part of the iHeartRadio network here in Pittsburgh and again stan was just so down to earth and generous with his time no matter who you were i was just some kid out of college looking to try and get into radio at the time and it didn't matter if you were super low on the totem pole or the highest executive in that radio station, he was going to treat you with the same amount of respect and dignity with his time than anyone else. That's the kind of person he was. I remember reading the, the tributes that were coming in, pouring in so quickly after the news broke last week that he had passed away after dealing with so many, uh, health related, related struggles. And, uh, it's nice to know that he isn't struggling anymore and he's finally at peace. Uh, not dealing with any more pain, but every single tribute and well-wish directed towards Stan Saverin throughout the last week has been nothing but positive because that's just the kind of kind of person he was, let alone his impact on the sports broadcasting industry here in Pittsburgh. He was just an all around great, great person to be around, let alone a, a tremendous sportscaster caster and radio personality, TV personality, in his own right. Question number 15. Did either of you watch the 2009 Stanley Cup Final Game 7 watch party with Colby Armstrong, Max Talbot, and Tyler Kennedy? The Penguins posted this to their YouTube channel recently. It was incredible stuff, and I hope they do more content like this in the future.
1: Yeah, it was very entertaining. Uh, And again, again, Colby wasn't on that team. But it's kind of great to see uh, two guys, Max Talbot and Tyler Kennedy, who went through that night and kind of got to relive that moment as spectators rather than uh, players. And it's obviously a completely different way to look at the game. It's a completely fresh look for them. Uh, And again, Talbot was the hero in that game. So it's just great to see them get that opportunity. And it was great. Um, it was a great segment and I Colby Armstrong is great on pretty much any medium he seems to be put on. I'd love to see him be involved more in this kind of stuff Um, just because, and he's so well liked by everybody that seems to know him. So I I love the the video they did. I think it was uh, really well done and it, it's so fun to see them guys still so close, even uh, after all these years, obviously uh, Tyler Kennedy still or er, moved back to Pittsburgh uh, and lives here. Max did bounce around uh, to a few different places after, uh, after Pittsburgh, and uh, Army is still in Pittsburgh for the most part. He does do some national stuff, but, no, it's great to see guys like that from this era but from a different part of this era uh, relive their best moment, and, uh, yeah, I thought it was a very great video, and the guys clearly had a bunch of fun with it and, you kind of felt that there were still some nerves even after knowing how it ends. So I'd love to see more content like that. I think in the future, maybe a rewatch of game six against San Jose and game six against Nashville the next year would be uh, tremendous fun to watch and see how guys from those teams react to uh, watching, watching back those nights. A uh, question number 16. Uh, Brian said he watched the Blackberry movie and we should be grateful the deal with Jim Balsillie uh, fell through. The guy seemed to be a bit unhinged and uh, with little integrity. Although he claims he would keep hockey in Pittsburgh, I think there's no way he wouldn't have moved uh, the team to Hamilton.
0: Yeah, and researching Jim Balsillie and the the relocation rumors the and stadium, the stadium rumors that were floating around in Pittsburgh, uh, I think that was, what, 2006, 2007-ish? So I was... I was nothing but a young lad at that time. But in my research and learning more about Jim Balsillie, I have absolutely, I had no faith in this man to keep the Penguins in Pittsburgh. It seemed like he was absolutely hell-bent on moving whatever team he could up to Hamilton. So he, even after his attempt to buy the Penguins, he had other attempts to buy uh, NHL franchises still with the clear intention of moving that team up to Hamilton. In May of 2007, he had reached a tentative agreement to buy the Nashville Predators. Uh, That obviously did not go through. Then Balsillie made a purchase or made an offer in May of 2009 to purchase the Phoenix Coyotes following the team uh, filing bankruptcy protection in Arizona. That did not go through. And he was rumored in other, uh, other sales of NHL franchises as well. in Buffalo in 2011, before the team was sold to the Pagula family, was he interested in purchasing the Atlanta thrashers before they relocated to Winnipeg? Uh, again, these, these are just rumors at this point, the Pittsburgh connection is not a rumor, but yeah, again, I have no clear, I have no clear doubt he would have definitely bought the penguins and moved them to Hamilton. That was seemed like it was his only goal in life was to put an NHL team in Hamilton. And that obviously did not come to fruition for him. But, uh, I think as a, as penguins fans, obviously still having the team in Pittsburgh. Uh, yes. Like Brian says, be grateful that the stadium situation worked out and the penguins are not going anywhere. They are staying in Pittsburgh for many, 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 many more years to come. Question number 17, the final question of this week's mailbag. And if you've been listening over the last couple of weeks, you may know where this question is going. It's this week's food question brought to you by Brian. I feel like maybe we should do a little jingle, get a little jingle or something in there. But this week's food question is about wings. Robbie, are we drum or flats guys? Do we like full wings? Brian is personally a drum guy, but I'm starting to see the flats argument. Also, what is your sauce of choice? Garlic butter and Quaker Steaks Arizona Ranch are Brian's favorites.
1: I'm, again, I don't really discriminate when it comes to wings, but if I had to pick, I'm a drums guy. It just feels like more meat, less work. Uh, so yeah, I'm a drums guy first. Uh, But, again, I don't discriminate when it comes to wings. If you just give me a plate of flats, buddy, I'm going to eat them. But, yeah, I would prefer drums. uh, But, again, I I don't discriminate too much when it comes uh, to the uh, shape of the wing that is put in front of me. Um, As for sauce, uh, garlic parmesan. I also like spicy ranch, which is basically just hot sauce and ranch dressing. Two of my pretty much uh, my two favorites. I do like a good buffalo. I uh, can't lie. Like a good buffalo, uh, I like a good barbecue as long as they're not oversauced. And sometimes barbecue sauce can get a little—they uh, go a little heavy on it. And I'm more of a uh, a light sauce person, just enough. Uh, especially when it comes to barbecue. Uh, what else? Uh, but again, if I had to pick garlic parm and spicy ranch, a good spicy ranch would be my my top two favorites. Yeah. Again, I can't say good. I can't say no to a good just regular buffalo wing with some blue cheese or ranch to dip it in as well, Uh, definitely up there as well. But if I had to pick uh, drums would be my first selection as in a type of wing uh, covered in some kind of garlic parm or uh, spicy ranch sauce uh, would be uh, my go-to choice uh, for wings.
0: So flats definitely have like a higher skin to meat ratio. So like in that regard, you're able to get, you're able to sop up more of the sauce and maybe you you can make the argument. You get more of the flavor, uh, drums. Yeah. Like you said, Robbie, they're definitely, I feel like they definitely hold much more meat. So if you want, if you, when you take that bite, you want more meat instead of skin. I think you're probably definitely going to go with drums. This may be controversial, but I'm not that big of a wing guy. Like, Uh you know, and, and it, he here's here's another argument that has certainly popped up between myself and my friends like boneless chicken tenders I feel like you get you get more bang for your buck with boneless chicken tenders. It's not you probably wouldn't classify them as a traditional wing, but I, I don't know i I feel like you get more substance with a with a boneless chicken tender and um
1: it's just chicken spe- nuggets.
0: Yes, that's basically yeah. That's that's what it's chicken nugget, and sauce wise, I do not like hot sauce. Hot sauce gives me a stomach ache. So uh,
1: okay, I can see that. Yeah,
0: I can't. So, but I I love ranch. I love barbecue, honey mustard, ketchup. You put any any sauce in front of me, I, I will dip any sort of meat into any sort of sauce. But the chicken the, the the chicken wing debate. Look, if you put a chicken wing in front of me, whether it's a drum or a flat. I'm going to eat it. Yeah. I, you know, I just feel like that the, the chicken nugget slash chicken tender for me, you know, call me weak sauce and call me, call <laughs> me a toddler. You, I, I'll i take that flack because I am confident and secure enough in, in my own body to know that my chicken tendies and my French fries, they're, they're, they're never going to abandon me. And uh, I'll always have a sense of comfort just eating my my tendies with my french fries from mcdonald's or where have you but uh that should do it for this week's debate on food and in turn i think that should do it for this week's episode of the Penzas cast mailbag so uh thank you to brian again this week for submitting all of the questions if you did submit questions uh for this week's mailbag and i did not see them obviously I did not include them in the outline for this week's show. Uh, Don't be afraid to hit me up with a DM on Twitter. I will go back and see if any other additional questions were left unanswered, as long as they weren't time-sensitive, and they will be included uh, in next week's mailbag as well. If you're interested in contributing to the PenceCast mailbag, you can do so by following us on Twitter at penguinsffsn. Every week, we'll send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in these mailbag shows. Uh, like I mentioned last week, I have a couple of things up my sleeve to try and grow and expand the Skating Penguin Network. Some of those things are definitely in motion, and uh, Robbie and I are going to communicate throughout throughout this week, maybe into next week. We have some fun ideas for some of our more uh, loyal listeners who have been with us since the beginning, so stay tuned for what we have in store with regard to some more surprises up our sleeves. Until then, I have been Garrett Bahanna for Robbie Noggle. Thank you again so much for listening to this edition of the Penscast Mailbag, and we will talk to all of you again this time next week.